So our first mini retirement, even though neither of us were working for the time that we were gone, when we came back, it didn't actually affect our timeline because when we were in Ecuador and in El Salvador, it actually costs a lot less than living in California. So... Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Financial Independence Show, where today we have on Melissa Nicato, who's going to be talking about minimalism, mini-retirements, and a whole lot more. But before we get into that, let me check in my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. So, you know, the weekend before we had our big Friendsgiving, but uh, on top of that hosting duty, we also signed up to host like regular Thanksgiving with Leslie's family. So for that one, I actually did a lot less cooking, so it wasn't as bad. We just had have the clean house and kind of have stuff, uh, you know, set out ready to eat. Her brother actually went out and bought a whole brisket from this place called Valentina's, which is if you're ever in Austin, you need to go down south and find this place. It's so good. But so we had an entire brisket for the Thanksgiving spread all the good stuff, the mac and cheese, potatoes, the smoked turkey, all that good stuff. So that was that was kind of the, the biggest thing over the last few days is hosting Thanksgiving. You also got the World Cup going on. It's nice because we got some of those places we could just walk to from our house. So we met with some friends down there, watched some of the World Cup on some of the big screens and some of the big projector TVs and stuff. So that was fun. But really, unfortunately, I was I kind of started getting sick on Thanksgiving. So I didn't do too much. Knocked out some little floating nightstands. So that was one little project that I knocked out and just got a lot of little administrative things done on the computer that I kind of been putting off, putting off like stuff I didn't want to dig up and figure out, you know, what the information was or return something or whatever it was. Like all these things you kind of put off forever. And since I was feeling crummy, I just did all my my digital cleanup. So that was that was kind of my weekend. How about you, Cody? Well, happy Thanksgiving to you, Justin, and to all of you listeners out there. For me, I know we talked about Thanksgiving last week. Justin, thank you for the recommendation to get the turkey a couple days in advance. I didn't know that. Luckily, it was like 90% thawed out and it ended up coming out really good. Like it was nice and juicy and it wasn't too frozen and everything worked out. We did all the things ourselves. This was like the first Thanksgiving where I wasn't just like bringing the side. I was cooking pretty much every dish with everybody else. Like we did our own green bean casserole and stuffing and turkey and we did the purple ube mashed potatoes and a whole bunch mm. of other stuff. So that was awesome. Hopefully you didn't go with like the medium rare to get it juicy. Hopefully, hopefully you got a fully cooked <laughs> bird. It was fully cooked. It was fully cooked. We did a lot of basting with the spoon actually because we didn't have a turkey baster, but it came out really well. Then the day after Thanksgiving, I've had like a whirlwind last couple of days. The day after Thanksgiving, we flew out to Maui and we stayed in Maui for a couple of days. We actually did a helicopter tour there. And I know, Justin, you had mentioned you did one in Kauai. I did one in Maui. We did like West Maui over all the insane mountains and waterfalls there. And then we went across open ocean to the island of Molokai. And they have like the steepest sea cliffs in the world. It was amazing to see via helicopter. So that was the first for me. I'd never been on a helicopter before then. And then as we're coming back, the day before we're about to fly back to Hilo on the big island where we've been staying, the volcano erupts on the big island, Mauna Loa. It's the biggest active volcano in the world. And we had actually flown out of Kona, which is on the other side of the island, flew back into Kona, had to drive straight through the middle of the island where the volcano is. And we got within like maybe five or 10 miles of the volcano. You could see the active lava flowing down the side of it. It was pretty awesome to see and you know luckily right now it's contained 
all the villages, all the people are safe because I guess back in 2018, like 700 houses got destroyed and stuff. Right now, it's just something cool to look at. I'm hoping it doesn't turn into a bigger problem and interferes with my flight home next week. But man, I, I never thought I would be seeing lava outside of a textbook or a documentary. And literally this past week, I get to drive by and take a bunch of pictures of lava flowing down the side of my mountain. So it's been crazy from helicopter rides to lava to cooking my first turkey. I mean, I have got a lot of firsts this week. But Justin, that's enough about us and our weeks. Let's talk about the guest for today, Melissa Nicado. So in this episode, Justin and I get to dig into some of the things that Melissa has written and talks about a lot like minimalism and how you can actually take tactical steps to like reduce the number of clothes in your closet or be a lot more efficient when you're packing for a vacation or have the need for less vehicles or a smaller house and how Melissa has actually done that in her own journey. And she's actually been able to have a pretty impressive savings rate in a place like California, where oftentimes, you know, especially Justin and I on social media and this podcast, we get pushback from people in high cost of living locations that are saying, oh, that's nice. But, you know, I live in a high cost of living city. That's not possible for X, Y, and Z reasons. Melissa kind of shows us how a lot of those things might not be true. She also talks about her why of Phi and how she maybe could have retired a lot earlier, but for various reasons, she decided to kick the financial independence can down the road and enjoy the journey a bit more. You could like when you talk about how, you know, maybe she could have retired earlier with these little mini retirements that she did, you know, she doesn't have any regrets about that. And I think that's a thing that we all need to get more comfortable with that early retirement doesn't need to be this work yourself in the ground, work yourself in the ground, boom, you retire and then you get to enjoy it. Spreading that out along the way, taking the time, like everybody's journey is different. Don't sit there and compare yourself to someone else and feel guilty about taking a little time. If it makes sense for you and your family and it's it's good timing, then do that. Obviously, she talks about kind of some smart ways that maybe you can do that. Maybe you can go to your boss and you can ask for maybe like a six month unpaid leave and maybe that'll give you a little early retirement, but they would still love to have you back versus just having to quit and burn a bridge. Like, there's a lot of different creative ways you could do it. And overall, the thing that I just enjoy about episodes like this, the one we've had with Melissa, is this is a very relatable story. The things she's going over are things that everyone could kind of incorporate to their day and to their mindset and to their, to their way of life. Like this is not some insane story where she created some niche business on the side and scaled it some ridiculous amount. Like this is something that so many people can look to and get a little inspiration from and change a little bit about what they're doing in their daily life. And maybe change the way that they kind of look at where they see their life going and what's possible. So whether you want to find the links to some of the interesting ideas Melissa had, like the clothing capsules, or there's just someone who you think would really resonate with Melissa's story and you want to share that with them, you can do all that over at thefyshow.com slash Melissa. That's thefyshow.com slash M-E-L-I-S-S-A. Take it away, Melissa. I never worked before going into college as a youngster. My dad is a salesman. And so he just had this perspective that if you start making money young, then you might not pursue an education later. So we were definitely told that we needed to focus on our studies and not really allowed to go work outside the home. That being said, (laughs) I'm a band geek. And so part of the things that I used to do for that was like fundraising. And at one point in high school, I met someone and I asked them, I'm like, oh, what are you fundraising for? And it turned out they were just selling candy for themselves. And I was like, that's a great idea. So I did go out and went to like one of those stores where you can buy bulk candy and started doing that myself to like earn some money on the side. And even though my parents didn't really want us working, they did open us a bank account when we were young. So we did have experience with like having a bank account and going there and checking it. 
and depositing money and pulling out money. So yeah, pretty young. I feel like there was this message that you really have to learn and you got to be careful with money because it's a temptation. But at the same time, I found ways to like, I guess, get more familiar with money. And growing up, was there where things felt tight, where you felt like you were on a budget? Like, did it drive any kind of mentality that you took with you into later years where you felt like I need to really hold on to everything that I have because you have like a scarcity mindset or was it that way growing up? Yeah. So I would say that I felt at times like that maybe we were lower income. It wasn't something that was really discussed out in the open. My parents didn't talk about their bills or their taxes or anything like that out to us in the open. But it was like a feeling that I got sometimes. But at the same time, there was like this dichotomy (laughs) to extremes. Like sometimes I felt that way, but then other times it was just like, oh, why did we get a guitar for Christmas? Like (laughs) that's kind of an expensive gift. So I think it depended. Like I feel like my mom was a saver and my dad liked to spend money and go to the movies every week. And so it depended who it was coming from. So I think it's really interesting your dad's perspective on like you shouldn't have a job before college because I want you to like get the degree, get like the really high power job and hopefully make a lot of money. Like did that come from he didn't want you going down the same path as him? Like did he not go to college and regret it and then, you know, get into sales or like I just want to dig into his background a bit more because I don't think I've ever heard of that phrasing from a parent before on the show. Oh wow, that's <laughs> that's interesting. So he started working at a really young age and he felt like as a salesman, he was a really good salesman. And so he could make a lot of money pretty fast. And like I said, I felt sometimes like we didn't have a lot of money. But as an adult now, I have had the experience of like looking at some tax returns in the past. And we actually some years were really good earners depending on how his sales job was going. So that's the thing with sales is not consistent. And you don't get this consistent paycheck. It really depends on your performance. And so I think that that was part of it. It's like he is like, if you're really good, you could make a lot, but it's not guaranteed. You know, it's not like it's going to be there every month because it is depending on other people and the demand and all that stuff. And so, yeah. And actually later, thanks to my trips that I got to do with my mini retirement, I got to talk to his parents more. And I found out that his family actually came from a good place. And then when they came to the United States, it kind of went down. And so I feel like that probably affected him with that. Yeah, that's really interesting thinking about that, like that transition of maybe, you know, we always think about people coming to the U.S. to build up something better, but seeing it go the other direction and Mm -hmm. the kind of like fears that that might put into place. As you started getting older, at what point did you feel like you started becoming really conscious about the way you spent money and like thinking this is something I need to be really smart about and thinking about like where your dollar was going? Yeah. So for me, it was a very much a light switch moment in the sense of like when I was in high school and living under my parents' roof, I was not really thinking about that other than my little side hustle that I was doing for my candy. (laughs) I wasn't really worried about, you know, how I was going to pay for my band uniform dry cleaning because that was something my parents were covering. But when I went to college, I went to a university where you actually have to work as part of your degree requirement. So it was half the year, six months you go to school and you do in-classroom learning and six months of the year, you're going to a company as a co-op and you're working. And the way they do it is they want you to get 
a paycheck. It's not free. They want you to be earning income because that's part of their financial aid packages. <laughs> the money that you're going to be making at these jobs is going to help you pay for college. So that was very much just like, damn, <laughs> you need to start doing this. And so when I started working, I'm originally from California. That's where I was living. But my university was in Michigan. And then my co-op was back in California. So I went to California. I was living in San Francisco, renting a room and doing my first job ever. And I had to start managing my money. I had to pay the rent and I had to go buy my own groceries. And if I wanted to go out, I was doing all that just at the turn of a hat. And so at that point, what did you kind of have for a long-term vision? Like, I'm guessing financial independence, the whole FI, FIRE movement, wasn't in the picture at that point. Like you're kind of just getting conscious around money, like a quote unquote normal person. Like you're starting to realize like, I'm going to have to save money to pay for these bills and stuff. But do you remember what your like outlook was? Like, were you going to stay in whatever job you're going to get after college for the next 40 years? Like, is that the pressure you were getting from your parents or just like, what was the mindset there? Yeah. So when I was just learning about money, it really was just the day-to-day -day thing. And also thinking about like I said, this is supposed to pay for my college term. So I needed to save some of that. I couldn't just spend it all. I actually was making pretty good money for, let's see, that would have been 2006. And I was making $15 an hour. So as a co-op, which is like what people are fighting for right now, <laughs> you know, and I knew like I needed to pay these bills, but then I also needed to save for my school term. And then actually some stuff happened in my family that I actually realized I needed to be saving even more money. So goodness, I feel like I'm talking more about my family <laughs> than myself in this. So we'll see how that goes. But my parents went through a divorce on my first year in college. And I was like, oh, well, what are we going to do? My mom's a stay-at-home mom. And are we going to have to find a new place to live kind of situation? And I actually wrote two checks to my mom after my first work term to like make sure that they could stay in the house. She never cashed those checks, but I wrote them. And so that I think that was kind of a turning point for me for like realizing that it wasn't just about me almost and that I needed to plan for like the future and bigger things. And I'm actually a little curious about the college program that you're talking about, because I don't know that I've heard of this kind of setup to where everyone's required to do work. And that's kind of the quote unquote financial aid is you're basically aiding yourself. Is that something special? Did you like seek that out? I mean, it was obviously out of state. Just kind of curious how you came up across that. Yeah. So the university is called Kettering University and it's actually located in Flint, Michigan. And being from California, I didn't know anything about Flint. So <laughs> that was like a whole culture shock thing getting there. It was luck. I just kind of came across it in my application process. And I always knew I wanted to go out of state and so I got accepted there. I went, I did a tour and that's how I ended up there. It was very much like chance, I think. So fast forward past college, you get that first job. What did life look like at that point? And what did you envision the next couple of decades to be? Yes. So when I graduated college, I knew I didn't want to take 10 years to pay off my student debt. Even though we did have this plan with your financial aid, student loans, I still graduated with debt, $46,000 plus. Dollars, and I just knew that I didn't want to spend any extra time paying for it. So I made a goal to pay it off in five years. And then I was like, but if it doesn't work, I'm going to do it in six years. So I made myself a backup plan for that. And 
also during this time, I had had a child. So my first job out of college was really just like paying off debt and I have a family to support already. So making sure I do that and um, take care of those needs. And so I really didn't have this like huge lifestyle inflation happen when I got my first job. And I don't know if you're like comfortable talking about like kind of what that first job was, what kind of income you had. Were you able to actually save money or were things kind of paycheck to paycheck at that point? Yeah. So I'm actually engineer, mechanical engineer by degree. So I did get a good degree and a good job. And even though I did my schooling in Michigan, my job was actually in California. So the co-op offered me a full-time job and I was making 50K, I believe. And so with my needs, it was more than enough for me to be able to support my family and aggressively be paying down my debt. And so how long did the debt payoff actually take? Yeah, so... (laughs) I actually only took three and a half years to pay that off. And in that time, I did get married and bought a car and then he bought a car. So when I do these numbers, I usually say we paid off $100,000 in debt in just three and a half years. So my school debt was around $46,000. But then I, I did graduate college and I did have that kind of peer pressure. So my lifestyle inflation included a car where I ended up buying a new car because everyone made fun of my old car. And I was like, dang, I didn't want to do this, but I did. And so that's how it all kind of got a little higher than that. I know a lot of times the kind of saving thing can almost become addictive. It can be like a rabbit hole. You go down, you start thinking of different ways you can save money. What was that kind of progression like? Because I know looking across your website, I've seen different things about, which I want to ask about later, but like these like clothing things, you know, just like different rules that you're using. Did it just start out as, hey, I'm trying to pay off some debt and then it morphed into like, I'm going to try to figure out how to maximize every single thing. Yeah. So definitely in the beginning, it was all focused on my debt. I just really wanted to learn how to get out of my debt. So I was doing a lot of research. I was reading on like MSN money and just learning a lot. But I didn't have any plan or any understanding of like what I would do after the fact. And so I came across... Mr. Money Mustache. And that's how I got introduced to the whole FIRE movement. And it really opened my eyes on what I could be doing with my money. I will say, though, that during my debt payoff, I had learned about like the benefits of compound interest. So I did open up a 401k as soon as I could in my job. I think it took me a couple months, either because there was like a waiting period or because I just felt intimidated by the process. And I was investing at least 10% in my 401k at the same time as I was doing my debt payoff. So I had like these two goals that I wanted to reach. So just for kind of a timestamp here, what year was this when you discovered like Mr. Money Mustache and that people were retiring in their 30s and all the crazy stuff we talked about in the podcast? Yeah. So I feel like when I ran into it, it was around 2014. At least that's the date when I started blogging. I feel like the only reason I started a blog was because Mr. Money Mustache wrote that it's so easy to make money (laughs) on a blog. (laughs) Spoiler alert, it doesn't work for everyone. So it was around 2014. So it was already three, four years after I had graduated college. And I was already aggressively paying off my debt. I was almost done with that. But actually going through his math and seeing, learning about 
actually him and the mad scientist talking about sheltering your money, maxing out your 401ks and all that. And seeing like, oh, actually, I have this money in a savings account, but it's not doing anything there because it's earning 0.0000001%. (laughs) And actually, I could actually move half of that money and pay off my debt and I'll actually get more for that. So that was kind of an eye opener for me is like, I had money in savings for like an emergency, but then it was just kind of a habit, kind of like how you said, Justin, it wasn't like addicting, but it's just a habit. You're constantly putting money in there. And so the savings was growing as I was paying off my debt. And I was like, wait, why don't I just move more of that into my debt? So after finding him, I think it would have taken us a little longer to pay off our debt, even though we were being aggressive, but realizing that whole the different percentages that the debt is earning and the money in your savings is earning and moving chunks of that over as we felt comfortable, that added, that cut down our timeline too. I'd love to start talking about maybe some of the things that you feel like you're doing differently than most of America as far as to be able to come up with some of these savings. I mean, especially you've got a family at the time, at least you're living in California, not the cheapest place in the world to live. And a lot of people, even with good paying jobs, are still living paycheck to paycheck in those situations. For instance, like I know I came across this one article that's talking about capsules for wardrobes, which I don't really know what that term is. And so I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about that as like an example, and we can just kind of dig into all the ways that you're saving money that maybe not everyone's taking advantage of. We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience, and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash fyshow, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash fyshow to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash fyshow. Now back to the show. Yeah. So capsule wardrobes. So if you're not familiar with what that is, a capsule wardrobe is a specific set of items of clothing that you pick to wear for a specific set of time. So for example, that's like 33 to 45 items that you wear for three months, like a full season. And so there's rules there, you know, like picking a color and picking for the season. But the way that it helps is that most people are not really using all the clothes in their closet period. And part of that reason is just like all the clutter is hiding the clothes that you could be wearing. So you have this clothes that you're constantly reaching for because you're just like, again, in the habit of using it. And then there might be other clothes that you wish you wore more, but it's like so hard to get to because most people's closets are so cramped, so overpacked that it's hard to even move things to get to them. And so when you do a capsule wardrobe, you go through this process where you're touching everything and you're saying like, does it fit me? Do I like it? And then is it in good shape? And if it is, then you have your yes pile, you have your no pile, and you have your maybe pile. 
And in your no pile, you have like a donate pile and a trash pile. And it's just kind of adding this awareness that people add to their finances when they're trying to learn about personal finance. It's all about creating the awareness, right? And so you create this awareness around your closet. And what you realize is that you have more than enough clothes. And so maybe you don't need to go buy something new. And I personally have never been in the habit of like buying clothes all the time. But I have read that people spend hundreds of dollars a month buying wardrobes either to be with the trends, because if your body's changing, then it makes absolute sense. But usually that's not the reason. And so it helps you when you go through this capsule wardrobe, it helps you identify like what you actually like to wear because you have a much smaller set of clothing that you actually learn your style better. You learn what clothes fits you better. And that in turn helps you become a better shopper when you do need to buy something. You can buy something that's going to actually last you longer because it's not just something that they're throwing at you with ads that you should want. That's pretty cool. I've never heard of that concept, but it's definitely like putting intentionality around your spending. In terms of the other spending categories, like, I mean, housing, you did mention transportation, you and your husband splurged on those new cars, but like food, going out, what were you doing in those other categories? Because just for some context, I had someone a week ago from California on Twitter that it was impossible to save 15% of your income. He was making 150K a year. So just giving you that framework, I'm sure that you can probably prove him wrong, but you know, what were you doing in those other categories to maximize your savings rate? Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> wild. I mean, we didn't even make that much and we were able to save. So going back to the cars, yes, we both did buy new cars, but we didn't buy BMWs or Ferraris. I bought a Toyota, <laughs> the smallest one, the Toyota Corolla, and my husband bought a Honda. So we bought compact, reliable cars. They were new, but we didn't buy the most expensive car. I found the cheapest car I was comfortable with buying new. So we did buy new, but we were reasonable about it, you could say. And when it came to housing, one of the things was that the whole time I lived in California, I didn't own a home. I was not owning a home. I always rented. And honestly, I don't regret it for one minute. I never felt like I was throwing money away because I could see how much housing cost in California. And I knew that if I did that, I wasn't going to actually have money as much. Maybe I would have had money, but it didn't feel like I would have money for actually investing. So I feel like renting actually saved us money in the long run. Because I feel like a lot of people who buy houses and use that as their investment is because they don't have the discipline to invest themselves. That's why People telling you you have to buy a house sounds true to a lot of people is because that's the only way they know how to save money. But if you have the discipline, I think renting in California makes so much more sense because of how different the cost of the house is and how much you're getting in return. I've had this argument with people in California as well that you know I was throwing money away when I was renting, but I was like, I get the flexibility to move around, which we did while we were living there. We moved from one apartment to another one that was closer to work so we could start biking to work and applying those mustachian principles. (laughs) But not just that, anything that went wrong in the complex, if we needed to replace the stove or the fridge or the washer and dryer things, like we didn't have to pay for that stuff out of pocket. And I feel like a lot of people miss that or forget that you can do that. 
And not only that, a lot of the complexes have pools or gyms. And so we didn't have to pay to go to the community pool or to use the gym. And they have properties that you can walk around. It's just you're so much closer, depending where you live. But in a lot of places, you're a lot closer to the work areas than if you were trying to buy a house and pay the same amount that you would pay for rent. You would have to live so far and you would spend so much more on gas. So one of the things we did for housing was we rented. And then for transportation was we felt comfortable moving closer when we needed to, to make those transportation costs not extravagant. And I think a lot of people, even if they get their head wrapped around these things, they're fairly successful, maybe up until they have the kids. Like the kids are what comes in and kind of like wrecks the whole thing because as adults, you understand what you're trying to accomplish. Like you've got discipline, but like the kid's not in that same mentality. Now, me and Cody don't have kids, but I think that's a common thing that people will say is they'll say, yeah, but you don't have kids. If you had kids, you wouldn't be able to save any money. So how did kids entering the equation change things? And like, how are you able to navigate that part where maybe there's all these things that they want and all these things they see other kids doing? Like, Did you feel like you had to deprive them in any way? Or just love for you to talk a little bit about how kids change the dynamic. Yes. So like I mentioned earlier, I had my first child while I was still in college. So that definitely gave me a different perspective on what kids need and also what you can provide for them based on a small income. And even a lot of things like that whole experience just taught me so much about like applying for government assistance and things like that and just surviving kind of thing. And so when I got my real job, my big girl job, (laughs) my engineering job, I didn't feel like I was depriving my kids of anything. And I will say though, is that I am a big fan of secondhand. So part of my beliefs or the things that I practice isn't just like personal finance buyer. I'm also a minimalist and a zero waster. So both those things together or all those three things together just mean that I'm trying to like leave the smallest footprint, you know, on the earth. And so I was completely fine with hand-me-down things. And so kids can be expensive, but that was not my experience. And part of that reason was that I was completely okay with saying like, if you haven't heard of the Buy Nothing group, join the Buy Nothing group. You can ask for clothing for your kids and babies, especially babies, they go through things so quick that most of the stuff on there is almost new because they literally just wear it for three months. And so it was just an easy way to get things or tell your coworkers. I told my husband, like, tell your friends who just had kids like a year before that will take all their clothes. Like, it's totally fine. So a way to save with kids, I think, is like, if you're okay with hand-me-downs, that's a great way to go. And that hand-me-downs doesn't necessarily mean like run-down clothing, like to stop thinking those two things are equal because they're really not. So yeah, oh my goodness, I feel like that was the biggest way that we saved money with our kids was just like secondhand stroller, going on Craigslist and looking for a bike trailer that we could buy so that we could take our kids on the bike still. And I will say medical bills were crazy expensive. I can't talk too much about this because that was when I had my first kid and I was still in college and there was a lot going on. So I didn't do as much meticulous accounting as I do now, but I did get government assistance for my first kid for like the birthing, but it was not applied correctly. So I actually got billed everything for the birthing. And I had to go through this whole process of like 
talking to the people who are holding the debts, talking to the hospitals, figuring out how I could pay less or getting it forgiven. So there's definitely big expenses that do come with kids, especially when it comes to like medical bills. I can't remember how many times I took my son to the emergency room as a young parent, as a first parent, because your kid can't tell you what's wrong and they've got a fever. So I took him to the emergency room and that was like a $100 visit every time. And that was with insurance. So I know that it can be way worse if you don't have insurance. So there can be expenses, but I feel like where people usually waste the most money, I want to say, is in the things they have control over, like how much clothes they're going to get their kids or how much toys and stuff. And yeah, I went a little on a soapbox there. But (laughs) what I'm trying to say is babies especially Babies are not super expensive because babies don't ask for anything other than your presence and attention. And if you can do that, you're doing really good. And as my kids get older, sorry, I'll move on to like they're older now. Yes, I can 100% tell you that my kids do tell me like, oh, my friends have a cell phone and my friends have this and that. And so with them, it's more talking about what we value and what we're willing to spend on. So I like traveling. I have family in California. I'm living in Michigan, but I have family also in Ecuador and El Salvador. And I just want to see the world. And so spending on that, trying to communicate with them that we'd rather spend our money in these areas than on toys that they're not going to play with. I don't know. It's challenging. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, this is actually the perfect segue, though, because I really wanted to ask about I read a Forbes article and you just said something really interesting and insightful in there. Speaking of like kids and your financial independence timeline, you were like, I think it was 2014 and you and your husband mapped out the math. You're like, we can stop working by 2026 if we just put our noses to the grindstone and just like work our faces off. Like we're, you know, 60, 80 hour weeks, whatever we have to do, like we're going to hit five. But you're like, if I did that, then we'd hit five the day after my kids would be leaving and going to college and we'd never get that like valuable time with them. I just thought that was like really insightful. And then I kind of want to use this as a liaison into what you did instead and talk a little bit about many retirements. Yeah. So I had the awesome opportunity as a small child to actually live in Ecuador for two years. That's where my dad is originally from. And I feel like that experience made a huge impact on my life and just like how I see people and my values and all that. And I wanted to give that experience to my kids, not to mention, I just wanted to go back to Ecuador again. (laughs) And so after we mapped out the timeline for FIRE, I was like, well, actually, it'd be really great if we could just take mini retirements in between there. So I did a new map where, you know, we were taking trips every five years. And I figured I worked backwards from my kids are actually five years apart. So I was like, okay, my son's going to be 18 this year work backwards that, that's 13. And then before that, whatever. (laughs) And so what we ended up doing was that after we paid off all our debt and we're saving, we talked about moving back to Michigan from California, which is where my husband's originally from. And I really like my big dream out there, wild goal is traveling for a full year with the family. I've read about all these people who just like travel nonstop who are nomadic and just do all this. And I'm just like, oh, that sounds amazing. That's what I want my life to be like. That's the experiences that I want to give my kids. But it's a little bit of a difficult thing to sell to my husband, who's a little bit more of a traditional upbringing. And not just that, my son's father, who's very much involved still in the picture and saying like, oh, yeah, I'm going to take him away for a whole year. So 
well, I was able to work out was a three-month mini retirement back in 2017. And we were able to go to Ecuador for a whole month and El Salvador for a whole month. And then because we were moving from California to Michigan, we also did a 21-day road trip where we just took the stuff that fit in our cars and relocated that way. And so, yeah, it was a big factor in my mind that I was like, I don't want to reach this retirement and then go travel because I know when I graduated high school, like I was ready to like live my own life and do my own things and chart my own path. And I was like, that's the year my oldest, my son is going to graduate high school. And I should expect that that's what he wants to do. And so if I wait till then to want to have these trips and these experiences, he can choose to come, but I have a little bit more control about whether he's coming or not right now. (laughs) And so I worked backwards with that math. And the amazing thing is that when you take many retirements where you're slow traveling, it doesn't really affect your timeline too much. So our first mini retirement, even though neither of us were working for the time that we were gone, when we came back, it didn't actually affect our timeline because when we were in Ecuador and in El Salvador, it actually costs a lot less than living in California. So I budgeted our trip based on our current expenses that we had in California. So we were completely fine. And thinking about like functionally how somebody could pull off one of these mini retirements, I'm thinking... Are you getting permission from work to take off a few months? Are you jumping jobs like multiple times? Because I could imagine like if somebody wants to take three months away and their company won't allow them. So they leave that company and they do that once, probably not a big deal. It's just a blip on the resume. But you do that three, four times, like all of a sudden now it starts to look a little weird. Like, okay, why are you working nine months and leaving three months? Just kind of curious how you like are functionally pulling that off. Yeah. So... I will be 100% honest that the first time we did it, I did some research, but we didn't realize how much control we could have over the situation. I kind of became very single focused. We were like, we're going to go on our trip and you're just going to have to quit your jobs. I had actually been recently laid off, so it wasn't actually going to affect me. It was more going to affect my husband. And it's like, you want to move back to Michigan? You're just going to quit and that's it. But when he went in there to give them the notice, he was such a valuable employee. They were like, wait, 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 how much time do you need? We were so single focused that we hadn't even entertained the possibility of them saying, oh, we could give you some of that time off. And so he just ended up quitting and we ended up moving. And you know, now we're in Michigan, but it's something that we always go back to. And we're like, man, if only we would have like realized that if you're a really good employee and you bring up this conversation, some companies actually are willing to work with you. So you don't need to quit. And with that new information, we just recently took a mini retirement this year. It was much shorter. We were only gone for six weeks. But my husband went into that conversation with that in mind this time. And his company was like, yeah, we could do that. We can give you those six weeks off so that you can do this trip. That conversation wouldn't have even happened if he hadn't had that initial reaction from before. Because even though you read about it and you hear other people have those possibilities and opportunities, you don't ever think you're going to get that, right? You don't think that it's going to happen for you. And so the fact that it did just kind of gave that reassurance that you should at least ask. But he did, I will say, walk into it thinking like, I'm going to quit if you don't give me these six weeks off. So we plan for our trip. When we do our planning, we do the savings. And we budget it in a way that we think that the employment is going to terminate. 
And so you need to be ready to go look for a new employment after. And because we did that the first time, we were perfectly fine, even though it took a little bit longer to get the job once we got back from our mini retirement, we were prepared for that. And for the second one, it worked out fine because they agreed to give us the time. But hey, that's a pretty powerful position to be in is like, either you give me the time off or I'm quitting. And you guys have the flexibility where if they do say, screw you guys, you're fired. It's fine because you've been saving up this huge nest egg and like you've been kind of trucking along the path to financial independence. I remember reading in one of your articles that you were just bringing around like literally a backpack, like each one of your family members, you and your husband and your kids. And you talked about minimalism before, like that seems absolutely impossible. Like the people who pack the mega checked bag with the carry on with the backpack, like how do you decide what to pack when you go on like a six week trip with just a backpack? Yeah. So (laughs) I will say get started on those capsule wardrobes right away because that's definitely going to help you. I feel like that's where people struggle the most is taking all the clothes like they need to have so many different choices. And when you start doing capsule wardrobes, you'll realize that you can actually mix and match a lot of different things that maybe you never considered doing before. So that was a huge help for me. That was something I was able to bring into that situation to pack for that with that knowledge. When I did the first trip with the backpacks, my daughter was still in diapers. And so there was definitely extra things that I needed to account for. But also part of packing just what goes in a backpack is realizing that some of the things you can just get when you get there. And so being a little bit more flexible about your like, what shampoo you use and (laughs) what bar soap and what lotion, like if it's not really that vital and you can be flexible about those things, then you're going to pack a lot less stuff. And then Let's see, it was pretty amazing because we actually packed things like a little water purifier straw. Like we were trying to think like we're going to be in these third world countries. <laughs> we need to be careful. But really, if I think back to just like the majority of things when I was younger, I was definitely trained to pack like the giant suitcases whenever we went places and just going and realizing, oh, my God, I didn't even wear so much of this clothes and I'm lugging it around. and. Doing the capsule wardrobe kind of gets you comfortable with that. It's all about building that skill and building that awareness and building that comfort and trust in yourself of like, oh, I actually know what fits me. I can acknowledge and be honest with myself that I didn't use those things. And so if I need to, I'll just buy it. Another group of people that I like to listen and read and learn from are the minimalists. And it's just, they have this rule, I think it's like 20, 20, like if I can get it for $20, then I'll let it go. One of the benefits I will say though, is when I was traveling, I was going to places where I had family. And so I knew that I was like, if I was in a pinch, I'm sure I could borrow a sweater from somebody, or I'm sure I could borrow some boots from somebody. But what ended up happening for my kids is that we just layered. So like we traveled somewhere where it was like really warm and El Salvador, like beaches kind of situation. And then when we went to Ecuador, we were like next to Quito, which is by the Andes Mountains. And so it was much, much colder. And what we ended up doing is like, okay, well, you just wear two short sleeve shirts and two long sleeve shirts and a sweater and two pants and two shorts. And it's like, well, you just wear your two short sleeve shirts and your long sleeve shirt and your sweater and you're going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't know. I think we're just super flexible people. I think that's one of our superpowers is that we're super flexible with trying stuff. And I mean, at this point, it sounds like you and your husband are on that same page. You're both flexible. You're both into doing whatever it takes to save some money. And I think the clearest point, though, where maybe most people, it kind of comes up if they're not on the same page with money is like a wedding. Like when you see two people who one person, you know, is like tries to kind of be flexible most of the time, but like they won't budge on the wedding. Did you also go into that thinking, how can we maximize and save the most amount of money? Or was it like, hey, this is a one-time thing. Let's go ahead and splurge. For my wedding? (laughs) That was a long time ago. When I got married, I hadn't found the fire movement yet. So I will say that that was not influencing our thought process, but we were in the middle of our debt payoff. And as I've hinted, I didn't have a lot of like financial resources coming in from like my side of the family. So we knew that when we were going to get married, like it was going to come out of our own pockets. And so that was definitely something that was feeding our decision making and the fact that we were trying to pay off our debt. So we wanted to have something nice, but I was definitely going through it and just saying like, this is not worth it for me. This is not worth it for me. Part of the fact that we were able to come to an agreement to is just our family situation. Like I've also hinted at, a lot of my family is actually out of the country and all his family's in Michigan and he's actually got a super tight knit family. So if we would have thrown like a very traditional wedding where both sides of the family come, it would have been like essentially all his side of the family. (laughs) And it was just like, well, that doesn't seem fair. And we had to have conversations about like, this is a union for us. And it's not really a performance. It's not a show. You know, like we're not trying to impress people. We're trying to do something that's fun for us. So our wedding was like super low key. We got married on the beach. We had like 50 people and I loved it. I even designed my own dress, you know, I'm proud to say. (laughs) But I didn't do that to try to save money. I did it because I like drawing. And so it's just interesting. I feel like one of the things that when you listen to people who talk about fire and personal finance, it can seem like all your decisions are motivated by money and like maybe that's your singular focus. But when you think about it and you break it down, it's really not just about money. Like all these other values that you have are influencing the decisions you're making. And so like I said, I'm a bit of a minimalist and zero waster and just like all these other things are influencing those decisions, not just the money. But yeah, no, we were able to have a wedding that he paid half, I paid half, and it was perfect for us. And one of the things we did this year is actually our 10-year anniversary. And so part of our mini retirement was driving back to California and we actually threw another little party. And I was like, we're going to spend some money to bring people together again because it's just going to be so much easier to see people if we bring them to one spot than if we try to go visit everyone at their own houses. And so when it comes to a wedding, I think, yeah, the goal is like you're just going to get married once. But the idea of a party that you can only throw a party once, like that's not true. (laughs) If you wanted to, you could throw a smaller party now and you could throw another party later. Like if you like throwing parties and bringing people together, you can do that. And if it's not a wedding, it'll actually be cheaper because you won't have to pay the wedding tax. Well, I know your posts, uh, you know, it added up every single thing, including like the dress, the rings, the food, everything. And it was like less than $5,000. So I just thought, 
that was worth highlighting because so many people, like especially that's one of the first things they're doing as they're starting their financial journey and they're dropping 25, 50,000, whatever on it. And it just puts you in a bad place right out of the gate. So that's kind of why I was going to ask about that. No, yeah, thanks. And I will say that I think the important part there when you're talking about spending on a wedding is actually thinking about spending some time on premarital counseling, because (laughs) that's when you're going to have all those conversations, maybe not all of them, but it's going to help people who, who probably haven't had conversations yet about money and how their money values are different from their partner's values. And I think that that's where you want to be spending your time and your money if you need to spend it, because that's what's going to help you. The wedding is just like the door to your marriage. And I think I wrote that on on my post too, is like, the wedding is just the thing you walk through to get to the other place. And so you don't spend a lot of time at the door. You just walk straight through it. So focus on where you're going, which is the marriage. Awesome. Well, just want to thank you again, Melissa, for coming on the podcast today. I think listeners are going to get a ton of value out of all the things you're teaching. For people who do want to learn more about minimalism and zero waste and mini retirements and all the things you talk about, where are the best places for them to follow along and connect? Yeah. So you can find me at thetravelingwallet.com is where my blog is. It's getting a facelift right now. So it's going to hopefully look a little bit more spruced up later. And then I try to guest on other people's podcasts to share my story, but you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter as well. Well, like Cody said, thank you so much for giving us some time. I love episodes like this because it's things that everyone can take and learn from. It's not something super specific to one person in one kind of field. The things you're doing, everyone can take note of. So I appreciate the time and the education for the audience. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so glad I ran into you at the Economy Conference, Cody. And I'm so happy to meet you, Justin. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, share this with a friend, and also don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way every Wednesday you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.